Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a trip down an Arizona river with a man who's worked to save it for most of his life. The Verde River is the longest river in Arizona that still runs from its original starting point to its terminus. The river begins near Perkinsville in Yavapai County and empties into the Salt River near Fountain Hills. In September, we hopped in kayaks north of Clarkdale with Doug Van Gossig. He's the executive director at the Verde River Institute. Um, as you're going through the little rapids that we go through, and they're relatively small rapids, the first one is right here behind us. All, all, your job is just to keep yourself in the middle of the high water in the rapid. So there's usually kind of a V that forms downstream as the rapid goes. If you go right through the top of that V, you're right where you should be. Von Gossig notes that the water is usually a little clearer than it is for our trip, but sediment has made it cloudy. This is stuff from primarily from Sycamore Canyon, upstream about uh, eight miles from here. Sycamore Canyon is the first main tributary for the Verde. It contributes about a fifth of its flow. Parts of the canyon burned in a 2021 wildfire along with 36,000 acres. The fire spread up the canyon to the northeast, burning so far up the canyon that parts of Flagstaff were put on evacuation notice. You can see that right here on my left, you can see the debris pile. So that debris pile was left from the Raphael fire and all of this wood that you see in there, you'll see a lot of it is burned. And then a month later, a month after the fire, this 18,000 acres of fire scar, we had the largest monsoonal storms that had ever occurred in the Verde Valley. And two of them sat right above the fire scar and brought every bit of that dirt, ash, tree limbs, stumps down the Verde River. You see, there's kind of a mound of dirt behind me here. That's all new silt. This, this should be right here at the level of my paddle. And that's a significant height. I mean, that's, that's not a couple of inches. This was seven feet high. But what that also brought down with it was organics. So this very, very rich soil now is covering an area that's used to pretty poor soil, a lot of sand and rock and whatnot. So it's populated by trees that, you know, that's the, the garden they like to grow in. And now all of a sudden you have this garden that's been over fertilized. And if you look at the bank here, we've got a lot of cocklebur, you've got a lot of different grasses, is creeping in toward the river now. and. The worst part of it, though, is that a couple of our really wonderful, significant trees like Arizona alder have been dying off ever since this silt was introduced. Rivers are living organisms, if, if you will, so they do change over time, but it sounds like because of the fire and the climate change that has brought all of that, it's changing a lot faster than anyone expected and in unpredictable ways. So nobody that you ever talked to before would have said, oh yeah, you're gonna lose your alders. If you lose your alders, you might be gonna lose your dobson flies. They'd like to lay their eggs on alder trees because the alder trees overhang the river and the larvae will fall into the water when they hatch. Belted kingfishers love to eat dobson fly larvae. 
all of a sudden the belted kingfishers are, are adversely affected by this, and why would they be? So here's another thing that has changed in this particular stretch. Just on the other side of river right over here is a farm, and uh, that farmer also had about 25 Angus cattle. Kept them penned in over there in pastures and whatnot, but they always got out because they're highly motivated to get to the river. Right, uh, lots like, of water. Lots and of water and food. food, yeah. And so these cows were always out here, and I was always calling the rancher and helping him find ways to, you know, enclose his cattle. And finally, he just decided he didn't want to hear from me anymore because <laughs> I was sending him a picture every day, here's your cow. You know? <laughs> so he decided to just sell the cows. Since then, the bank ecosystem is completely changed. And we don't know quite how much of this is because the cattle are no longer here, mowing it down and breaking it down with their hooves as they get down and drink and all of those things that cattle do. And how much of it is the Raphael fire and that silt? How much of it is just other aspects of climate change? But what we've noticed, and every outfitter who's out here you know, every day or several times a week, has remarked on what a manifest change there is in the in the stream bank ecosystem. Manifest change in a good way or a bad way? Sure. Okay. You pick. <laughs> May I ask about our friends who we can hear coming up behind us? This is a commercial here. trip. Um, we're sitting here in kayaks on mm -hmm. the river. Right. We all love the outdoors. Are we having, because of the changes here, a larger negative impact on the river? No, that's a really good question. And, and when we first started this project in the town of Clarkdale to, to allow a lot of people to start enjoying it, everybody came out and said, oh, you're gonna ruin the river, you're gonna love it to death. It's gonna become just like the Salt River. And so that's why we put the, the river ambassadors to kind of see that um, people behaved and that they, uh, honored the river and whatnot for what it is. And then the commercial uh, outfitters like this one, this is Outdoor Adventure Center out of Cottonwood. And they and I and all the other outfitters are licensed to the town of Clarkdale. And we have a long list of behaviors that we have to follow. Yeah, these are people from all over the country that, or all over the world actually that yeah. come out here and uh, take a ride down the river. And they, universally it's like, I never knew there was anything like this in Arizona, you know? And like you said, it exposes. And once they go home, be it to Phoenix or Tucson or even Flagstaff or somewhere in between or somewhere far flung and say, I was at, you know, this beautiful spot and you got another one. Yeah, that's exactly why we did this. The t I was the mayor of Clarkdale for 17 years, and, and so we, we built this whole thing uh, with my love of the river being central in, in a lot of that. And one of the things that I would say in public meetings was, yes, you're going to have, there are a few people that live along the river who were really worried that they were going to have all these people in their backyard. And I said, you might, and we're going to do everything we can. There are signs up that say, be respectful of residents and all of the stuff. And, and the outfitters are very cognizant of that. And, but I said, what your choice is here is don't put people in, on the river and lose it entirely or put up with a little more 
traffic on the river and save the river. So here's something really quickly. One of the big things we take uh, notice of along the Verde River is the number of dragonflies and damselflies. They're called the odonates. And we've noticed that if we want to find an American ruby spot, we have to look over there. But if we want to find a Mexican forktail, we have to look over here. Opposite sides of the river. Opposite sides of the river. Do you think it's because they can tell left from right or? probably has to do with what's grown and sun and sun exposure and things like that. Okay, so sun exposure, it's exactly right. And what's growing, because of the sun exposure, different things grow on different sides. And the water's cooler in the shade than it is over there. And the direct sunlight. There was a time where there were no trees, there was no grass, there were no bushes, there was no cocklebur, there was nothing but rocks and gravel all along the river in the Verde Valley. And you know what was going on at the time? Smelters. I was going to say mining, but yeah, Mine, smelters. Mining and smeltering is actually the big polluter. And the smelters created such bad air quality and water quality that no plants would grow. And the miners at the time would cut trees that were there for firewood and whatnot. And so the pictures that you have of this spot where we're sitting right now is nothing but a gravel parking lot. And you, would you believe that this came up since 1953? Most of this since 1994, uh, by the way. Yeah, we have full-size trees here. And yeah. You said lots of different grasses. Gigantic diversity. It healed. It will heal. Sometimes it just takes time. And you do irre irreplaceable damage along the way. So it'll never be what it was before the mines were here. And so if you do a restoration project, if you want to bring a damaged area back to some kind of its glory days, you've got to define which of the glory days you want to try to reproduce and which ones are possible and which ones are achievable from an economic standpoint and all of that. These guys are late, by the way. They, they usually aren't here this late in the season, the cicadas. Oh, it's still a little warm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the sound of summer. Yeah, pretty soon it'll be the Christmas sound, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think about is what, what was this like for those kids that lived in those houses on the cliff? The Sinawa kids. Yeah, because we have those cliff dwellings that we can see yeah. now. And what did it look like for them? So for them, it was this very broad braided channel of slow flowing river, which meant a lot of malaria, a lot of mosquitoes. Right. Well, a lot of stuff about that is not good. And an incised channel will eliminate mosquitoes practically because it's the it's water's too deep, running moves too, too fast. quickly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you couldn't have kayaked this river before it incised, before when the beavers were too still shallow. Here. And the beavers, by the way, are back. They just don't build dams anymore because they get blown out by fast rivers all the time. I was going to ask if there was talk about reintroduction of species. No, but they did but... reintroduce the uh, otters. They had also fur trapped all the otters out. They had extirpated them completely, the river otters. And so 80s or 90s, Arizona Game and Fish went down to Louisiana and got a bunch of river otters and brought them back here and now they're very, very common. They're just a, a major part of the ecosystem because they're the top 
right, river predator. You know what otters eat? Crayfish, which are all non-native invasives. And they came from Louisiana, so they eat them etouffee, they eat them brouillé, they eat them... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go to the right here. So here, wait, pull over here. You see this gray trunk tree here? Yes. This is Arizona alder. And the white things that you see on the limb yes. here? So those white things are the egg cases of that Dobson fly that I was oh, talking yeah. about. And you can see that they put those on the tree right where it overhangs the water here. Right, so the, the larvae then drop in. Right, because there are spent egg cases that might be 10 or 15 or 20 years old on this tree. So that Arizona alder is the one that we're having the most trouble with right now. And this one's healthy, but look at the base of it, no silt. Right because it washes out around this big curve that mm -hmm. it's in the middle of, that it's right at the top of. I hate this job. <laughs> I can tell. It, it must be terrible having to come out it's here. It's horrible, right? You gotta do this almost every day. It's a, God, of the hundreds of times that I've done this run, I don't think I remember ever not just loving it. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And yeah, and it changes. This year's been the biggest changes we've ever seen. Changes in what way? Well, the, 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 the Raphael silts, for one thing, has really made a big difference in everything. The cows being gone is a big deal. The size of the monsoons has changed everything. The number of plants, the, the streamside vegetation is unbelievably different than what it was just a year ago. And that brought and kept a lot of birds, like those summer tanagers that we just heard really should be taking off. They should be going down to Costa Rica, you know. Somebody asked me on one of the trips, I think it was a, a trip of uh, Salt River Project people, mm -hmm. and they said, what do you, what do you think is going to happen next year? And I thought for a few seconds and I, then I went, I have no idea what's going to happen next month anymore. I used to, I, I could have answered that question years ago. I could reliably have told you what it was going to be like in two months or in a year. I said it's t completely unpredictable now because of climate change. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We're taking a trip down a stretch of the Verde River this week. Our tour guide is Doug Van Gossick. He's the executive director at the Verde River Institute and the former mayor of the town of Clarkdale. As we get back into our trip, Van Gossick tells us what makes the Verde unique and how its flows enter the state's drinking water. This river runs all the way from its headwaters to its natural terminus. It's the largest river that does that in the state now. Seven rivers no longer do that in Arizona. So the Verde runs into the salt, the salt runs into the Gila, the Gila runs into the Colorado, the Colorado runs into the ocean. None of those things happens anymore. This one still does. So it's called a Huck Four River. It's four steps from the ocean. Interesting. And it's the only Huck Four that still does that. And the only thing as big as a Huck Four. And could we lose it? Yep, we could. Does this river get affected at all? 
by groundwater pumping, which we see a lot of in southern Arizona, one while to all one. of our rivers. Every are... every gallon of water that's taken out of the ground in the watershed is a gallon that doesn't make it to the river. And I assume this area, like every other area, is growing with people, so there's more demand for the groundwater. Yes, so the first time, let's say for me, first time I saw the Verde River, I look back at the historical records, there were about 150 wells in the Verde Valley. There are now close to 8,000 wells, and some of them are industrial wells and municipal wells and agricultural wells, and they withdraw a huge amount of water. Right. But anywhere in the watershed, Prescott, Prescott Valley, Chino Valley, Paulden, uh, this side of Flagstaff, all five of the incorporated communities in the Verde Valley all use groundwater. And every drop of that groundwater that they take out is a drop that was headed here. I have conservation friends, people that work on the Verde River, um, who have no faith that the river will continue to flow. I just know that it's impossible to predict, and so I tend to act as though it will. You should uh, plan for the worst, but work with what you've got. So this is the big slag pile here on our right. There's 20 million tons of slag. And it's feet from the river. Oh, no. It's in the river. It would have to be. The river didn't used to run here. That's pushed it over here. The river used to run way back on the other side of it, about a quarter mile over that way. And the smelter just kept dumping it essentially into the river and dumping it and dumping it until they dumped 20 million tons of it. That's almost a half mile long as we go down. And it pushed the river over here to the east as it went in. That cannot be good for water quality. It doesn't have any impact. Really? There's no impact that we've been able to measure from the slag pile. It's, it's what's vitrified. Let me give you a piece of it here. Let me get it down here. This is the bottom of one of the buckets of slag right here. That would explain its uh, uniform round uh, nature. Yeah. So this stuff, what's called ferrosilicates, it's made of iron and silicon primarily, the two waste products of the smelter. Right. But, here, come over and take hold of this. And you'll see some of its qualities. This is a guy that's survived every flood since 1950 or whatever. And you notice a couple of things about it. One is it's really heavy. Yeah, right? that's real. When you said iron, you're not kidding. Right. That's heavy. And look at the, it's not rounded off. No, it's, it's not. It's been through innumerable floods. Every other rock you see out here is round by that time. Right, it, it's tumbled by the, by the uh -huh. river, and this has got jagged edges. Yeah, and that's because it's so hard that it just, it's just like glass. Yeah. And so it doesn't leach anything. Everything that could leach out of it was taken out of it in the smelting process. Yeah, so, it's got some striation. You can see different things in it. And again, there's 20 million tons. There's about... 0.4 to 0.5 ounces of gold in each ton that was just left in it because they couldn't get it out in those technologies. And that means there's about 10 million ounces of gold in that slag pile. I don't know what gold's worth, 1,500 an ounce or something now? But you said to get it out is economically prohibitive. It is now. So two things, one of two things can happen or several things could happen, but one of them is 
the cost of gold, the price of gold might go to $3,000 an ounce, in which case you might be able to make it economical. Right. Or you find an extraction method that gets the gold out a lot cheaper than what's right. available today. So we're in what used to be a pond. It was formed by a dam that was up here. That dam was removed this year in February. After again, a million phone calls from Doug harassing Freeport McMoran about the fact that this dam didn't do anything and that it was just bad for the river. When they did, it's a much uh, more diverse ecosystem than it was before. What was the purpose of the dam? So on the other side of that mountain right there is a lake called Pex Lake, which is an old oxbow of the river. And they drilled a hole, a tunnel through it and built a dam to divert water through the tunnel. And that filled Pex Lake for a recreational amenity for the miners. I had always said, if the dam ruptures, that's when you should take it out. Because now nothing's your fault. You take it out while it's entire and everything that happens downstream is going to get blamed on you. But if it's already got water flowing through it, right. it wasn't you. Right. When the dam broke, the local manager and others, and I was writing letters and whatnot, saying, now's the time, take it out. And they all agreed, yeah, all right, we'll take it out finally. So it doesn't feed water to Pex Lake anymore. And Pex Lake has little springs, so it's now a kind of a seasonal wetland. It was fun to watch. I was up, I did drone work the whole time they were taking it out. Because for the Verde River, this was the biggest event ever. The biggest single conservation project on the Verde ever. So we're approaching our monitoring tract. So are you just looking at overall river health? Well, what do you need for monitoring like this is you want a baseline on what was the river like on a particular day, mm -hmm. you know? What did it used to be like? Is this a change? Is it a positive change? You know, what's going on? This is the very beginning of our monitoring tract right here, and we call this the otter latrine. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's all crayfish. I mean, they get lazy and eat nothing but lobster, you know? A tough life these otters have. Yeah that and they play and quite often we'll find uh, a bottle or a bobber or you'll find stuff that they find on the bottom and they play with it yeah and then they'll leave it up on the shore there so we call it otter trash well it's nice they're helping clean up the river yep so we're going to pull over to the right for a minute here this is that giant reed the arundo donax that uh, they're trying to extirpate now. Mm. It's kind of like trying to extirpate Bermuda grass though. It's... Yeah. So this is called uh, Rocky Rapid and it's more critical that you be in exactly the right place right at the end. If you're not, you're, you're gonna go through this little, over a little waterfall, literally, then down a chute and it wants to kick the nose of your boat over into the rocks on the right. If it does, your boat is gonna go sideways and you're gonna go out of it. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, that one's a little more fun. Yeah. That one will be a class three or class four in a big flood. Oh, I bet. I mean, that standing wave that you went through at yeah. the top of this one, Yeah. that thing's like four or five feet high. That's fun. It's really fun. That'd be really fun. Just boom, bam, boom, and then up the other side. So as we near the end of our paddle here, beautiful run. You were mayor. You've spent all this time, you know, devoted to, to protecting this river. Why? This river is part of my blood. I mean, it's my passion in life. It always has been since I was a kid. I, it was where I always wanted to be. I would sit by streams in Arizona when I was a kid and just be mesmerized by the number of insects and birds and plants around me and by the sound of the water. And the Verde in particular has been in my life for Let's see, 40, 65 years, and I've been working on conservation of the Verde for almost 40 now. Well, it says something you were in the Air Force, probably went around the world, came home to the Verde. And I came home to the Verde, right? And I didn't live here in the Verde Valley when I was a kid. I lived in Prescott. So we would come over and visit people over here, and it was always just the best time of my life. And my house now sits over the river. It sits on the cliff up above the river where I can watch it and and hear it. And it's just in my blood. I, for most river people, they have a, a special place in their heart and in their body and their head for running water. And we know that it's threatened. We know that it's endangered. And we want to work really hard so other people will share that experience, you know. Other people will have this kind of a thing in their life. And it's not altogether clear that they always will. That's an unacceptable end, you know. That was Doug Van Gossig, Executive Director at the Verde River Institute. We wrap up this week with a look at a project that Van Gossig mentioned during our interview. For more than a decade, a group of environmental nonprofits and land managers have worked to remove a handful of invasive species along the Verde River and one of its main tributaries. They've removed introduced plants that include a giant reed and some small trees that crowd out native species and suck up water that would otherwise make it to a Phoenix area reservoir. The Buzz producer, Zach Ziegler, took a trip to visit one of those crews and brings us this story. Oak Creek begins in a canyon south of Flagstaff and flows into the Verde Valley, where it eventually feeds into the Verde River south of Cornville. On the southern edge of the creek, a crew has spent the last week pulling up a field of an invasive reed, and they're now feeding thousands of cut plants into a wood chipper. We're working on a project to remove Arundo, also known as giant reed, which looks a lot like bamboo. It's one of the invasive plants that's really started to choke out areas along the Verde. That's Tracy Stevens, program director at Friends of the Verde River. We have to chip the Arundo um, because if we leave it um, whole, it can actually re-sprout from each leaf node. Um, so one Arundo stalk left on the ground can actually re-sprout in 30 different places and create a whole new stand and another giant problem for us. 
Friends of the Verde has been removing Arundo and a few other non-native plants for more than a decade, allowing local species that consume less water to thrive in the area. As Stevens and I talk, four workers feed stocks of Arundo that are taller than they are into the wood chipper. So the crew that we're working with today is Verde Earth Technologies, or VET. It's a veteran-owned, veteran-managed company um, that's comprised primarily of veterans. After a couple hours of chipping, the crew shuts down the chipper and takes a lunch break, which gives me a chance to talk with Sean Boruso, an Army veteran who did two tours in Afghanistan. It helps with PTSD a lot, being out here. Um, you don't have to deal with a lot of people, kind of, and it's just, it's easy. Like, the environment, it's easy to work in. It's easy to breathe. Baruso and the crew cut the Arundo and treat the stumps with an herbicide to ensure it doesn't grow back. Then, they haul it up a steep hill using a winch. The cut plants cover about a quarter acre of Coconino National Forest land. That will all be chipped by the end of the day and a native grass seed dropped in the remnants. As soon as we get done chipping up here, all this debris up here, then we'll go back down, pull more dead, cut more living, treat the living, and then we'll stage and then just repeat the process. Hook it back up to the winch, bring it up the hill, spread it out in the field, chip it, and then repeat. Yep, just blather, rinse, repeat for a few weeks. Days. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Tracy Stevens says Verde Earth Technologies does this for three to six months each year, depending on how much funding Friends of the Verde and its partner groups have. We've been working for over a decade on invasive plant removal throughout the watershed from the headwaters of the Verde down to about Fossil Creek. And um, through that time, I've worked on over 12,000 acres removing tamarisk, arundo, Russian olive, and tree of heaven. For Baruso, it's hard for him to put a finger on why he does this job, but ultimately, it makes him happy. Uh, playing in the dirt's fun. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know, I just, something keeps calling me back. It's, it's the Verde River and Oak Creek, a very special place. A special place that he's happy to help preserve. For The Buzz, I'm Zach Ziegler. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.